If you're not on that journey, Brenna, you need to get on it. Get on it. I, I know the score. I'm ready. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting by the phone. Like, you're not in a cult in real life, right? It's changed my entire world. And I'm walking into the next stage of my professional career with, like, a body of work behind me. How incredible is that? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we are still social distancing, so we are out of the car, but we do have a special guest in our virtual studio. She is the inaugural Crescendo artist with Musical Stage Company, has written musicals such as Dr. Silver, the upcoming Kelly vs. Kelly, and the multi-Dora award-winning Life After. Please welcome Britta Johnson. Hi, Britta. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm fine yeah how has this time been for you since everything has started with the lockdown situation it's been many things i don't know how you're finding it but it's many things it's um it's a very it's we're in quite a moment in the world and it's like i feel like we're going to be talking about this uh this year forever (laughs) and it's equal parts terrifying and uh unsettling and enlightening all of these things it's it's been a it's been a moment i would say (laughs) it feels like we're we're living through history and like trying to absorb as much as we can to be able to retell it or remember it when this is over hopefully and we're like right in the middle of it so it's hard to even reflect on it when someone asks how are you i'm like i don't really know i don't know i think we're all a lot of things i think like living (laughs) in that complexity and that's fine we've wanted to reach out to you for a while and as soon as we reached out to you a couple of days later, um, Musical Stage Company released Eugenia at the Tango Club, and it's literally all we've been listening to since it came out. Oh my we God. do a segment <laughs> in our episodes, Obsession of the Week, and it was my obsession for our last episode because I think that song is so beautiful, and we will dive into Kelly v. Kelly a little bit later, but we just needed to tell you that we've been so excited to talk to you ever since that we've heard this song. It's all we've listened to. That is an honor. I'm thrilled to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> just to jump in, what is your first musical memory? That, like music theater memory? Are we talking music theater memory? Yeah, music theater, theater, music involved, anything. That is a really good question. I mean, I kind of, it's been a, I was born into, born into it really. Like my, both my parents were musicians at the Stratford Festival. So I, a lot of my earliest memories are kind of weird funhouse music theater memories of being <laughs> backstage with them, of being in the pit. I know my mom was playing carousel. She was playing first trumpet in carousel when she was pregnant with me. So probably probably in some existential way, that's my first musical memory. Um, the first show, I remember Stratford did Man of La Mancha when I was like six. And I don't know why I was just obsessed with it. I went so many times. I sang the songs. I would dress like Don Quixote. I, I haven't seen it since. I can't remember anything about that musical, but I do know it was somehow transformative for me. I, I can't really explain it. In fact, I don't even think I could sing a song. I guess that's Dream the Impossible Dream. That's in that show. Yeah. You were dreaming the impossible dream. I was dreaming the impossible dream, and then I made that dream came true, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that would be my earliest. But but a lot of my earliest memories as a kid are of backstage at the theater and and sitting in the pit and listening to my mom and dad rehearse the, the horn lines for various musicals and singing with my sisters. I think it, it's a... Uh, it's, really woven into the tapestry of my childhood, I would say. <laughs> so growing up with a musical family, obviously music has been in your blood since birth. So was it a no-brainer that you decided to go into a career of music? Yeah, I don't even know if it was a decision. It just kind of happened. Like, it's just always been this the way that I communicate with the world and the people I love. I 
I'm, I'm kind of some level surprised I'm in music theater. I would fight against it. I'd be like, I'm going to be a serious classical musician and I'm not a songwriter, I'm a composer. And then all I write are songs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you can't fight it. Um, yeah, I think it would have been weirder in my family. I, I had the unique privilege of that, that it, the path unfolded fairly with a lot of ease for me. And I had a lot of support and a lot of community support in it. Uh, and it just, I, I, I've been writing as long as I can remember. And it, and it just became my whole life because it always had been. And I think my parents would have been more weirded out if I had become uh, an accountant or a lawyer or, you know, any other responsible career. <laughs> Do you remember the first song or the first thing that you wrote? The first song or first thing I wrote is a great question. I, I wrote a bunch of songs when I was a really little kid that my dad would write out for me. I have no idea how they went or what they were about. So I can't tell you that, but I know that my first like musical I wrote with my friend when we were in grade 10 for like a one act play festival, kind of as a joke to make our friends laugh and get them out of class for rehearsal. Um, uh, yeah, so we wrote a 20 minute show and that was the first kind of musical that I that I ever wrote. And then I, I kind of didn't stop after that. What What are some of your musical influences? Who has, what artists or musicals or theater has influenced you in your writing? Everything. I, I Obviously, early on, Sondheim was a huge influence for me. I think it was seeing uh, the festival did Into the Woods um, when I was 14. Uh, it was actually the year my father died, and it was like a big part of how I mourned him. I went like 15 times. I don't know. And I had kind of been a, you know, a teenager who was like into Radiohead and was like, eh, I don't like musicals. And then something about <laughs> Into the Woods, like... Uh, really opened something up in, for me and, and made me realize just, I don't know what's possible when you tell a story through music. What was the question? What are my influences? Sondheim. Sondheim obviously is a big one, but then also just like incredible pop songwriters and the Beatles and Ravel and Cole Porter and Ariana Grande and uh, Debussy. And I don't know, it depends on what, uh, what the show is. Like what I love about writing musicals is it's like creating a concept album for a story and it can each can sound distinct unto itself. So I think that every project I work on has a whole different list of influences. But I would say that like like every music theater writer, it would be Stephen Sondheim that initially made me go like, what is this? Just to get into your writing and composing for a bit, this might sound like a dumb question, but where do you even start? <laughs> it's not I a assume, dumb question. <laughs> I was going to say, I assume it's different for everything that you work on, but... Yeah, I'm just like, how do you even get in that headspace to just start? Starting is so much the hardest part, I think. And I don't have an easy answer. Um, I think it's different for every project. And sometimes sometimes for a project, you can kind of hear how it sings right away. And then sometimes it takes a bit of work. And it's about listening to music that makes you think of the story or talking to people that make you think of the characters or spending a long time if you're working with a collaborator just like hanging out with them and talking about the world and what do you think about the world and sharing music that you love and then uh usually when I start it starts with something really stupid and messy and unformed and I let that sit for a while until it turns into something else but it it really depends on the project and sometimes songs fall out of the sky and sometimes you have to work you have to chip away at them for seemingly forever. Sometimes you can work on a song for a month and realize it's the wrong song and then start again and it takes five minutes because somehow in the back of your mind, you've been working on it the whole time. I'm right. rambling. Was that a clear answer? No, that was great. <laughs> in terms of, I think I, I heard you say on a podcast or an interview that you did, I think a couple years ago that to start with an opening number is something that you've done in the past. And even if it doesn't end up in the final product, it just gives you that mood or vibe that you're searching for for the musical. Is that still something that rings true today? 
I I have to say I'm like so inconsistent in what my process is, is the truth. There's no, sometimes it, sometimes you start at the beginning and that works. And sometimes you start in the middle and that works. Sometimes you start at the end. Usually if I, if I write an opening number out the gate, I end up changing it because I don't know the story of the show yet. Uh, but quite a few times I've written, a, I've the first song I write doesn't end up in the show. And it's just about kind of like meeting the world of it in a bit of a messy way and allowing yourself to do it kind of badly. But sometimes mm -hmm. it becomes the central song of the show, you know, like for life after poetry is the first song I wrote for that show. And it's like the only one I haven't rewritten in all the productions we've done. A certain poetry and knowing not a single word or phrase could ever do. Not for you. Because my former logic won't apply. But it feels like rain and yet the ground is I can't articulate exactly why I've never been much of a poet. Oh, wow. Something about that became the truth of the show and, and I wrote around that. So it, it really depends. I have not given a single clear answer to you. I, no, it's <laughs> good. I feel like I'm in them. your your head for your process. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I can say is it's just never the same. And I right. I can't say any hard or fast rule about what the way I like to do it is because because I say that and then it doesn't work the next time. You just got to be like open to the process as a, you know, a specific to the journey of the show that you're trying to write. Jumping off of that, what was the first show that gave you your start? Like your real professional start? One of the very first professional shows I worked on was the show called Brantwood. Have you heard of this show? Is this really We have. Or? We have a few friends from Sheridan and they, we did an episode with them very early on in our podcast and they were raving about Brentwood because they thought it was the coolest experience ever. I'm so sad that we didn't get to see it. It's a, I hardly even know how to describe that show. It was like, it was like, it was like songwriting boot camp basically because we, we had such a short, fast turnaround and, and my sister and I, Annika and I, and one other songwriter, Graham Geelan, he's the best were tasked with writing like 60 songs, you know, oh set in, 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 you know, 10 different decades. And we'd be given like a specific amount of time that each song had to be and be like, this, this song is set in 1922. And this is the plot of this song. And it has to be seven minutes and 22 seconds long, because this, this <laughs> is like giant immersive production where it all fit together. Like, a, see, I'm very bad at describing it, but that was <laughs> actually one of the first shows that I actually got like paid to write. And it was a kind of a transformative experience because you couldn't help but get better at songwriting through it. It really was like, like it I felt like it could be like, it was like the project runway of songwriting, you know, when they'll be a like, challenge. your challenge is to, <laughs> is to make a dress for this dog and you have yeah. an hour and the dog's dead. You know, it kind of felt <laughs> like, uh, like that, but for songs, <laughs> that was the first one. And then I guess like my breakout show would probably be Life After. We did that in the Fringe. We did it at Canadian Stage and now it's been the show that's let me start working in the states and you know yeah. i would say I, you know it's been like 10 years of my life now and it's really been the the, the piece that's carried me into having a professional life <laughs> we're we're actually super interested in the idea of a show like brantwood the immersiveness of it and i i'm kind of curious about what is it like to write a song for a show where you know the audience is not going to get 100 of that show they're only going to get certain pieces of it and how do you have to like tell that story, but only in parts? I don't even know what I'm asking. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think it does make sense. I mean, in, in in the end, I think 
with songwriting, kind of an amazing thing about telling stories through songs is that the task is to like do a whole world of information in three minutes, always. You know, you want to write songs that can make sense out of context and that have some bit of universality in them that lets them kind of have a life of their own. Like, I think that good songs do that anyway. But yes, definitely writing, knowing that they might not get all the context is really like, that's a challenge as a songwriter. It really forces you to do that very thing that you want your song to do. You must do it. Like, you must let it be clear in a world unto itself and be really efficient in its storytelling. And I think these are things that just effective songs do. But yes, definitely we were called upon to do some really efficient <laughs> and effective songwriting. Uh, and also I think definitely it was inescapable that sometimes the audience was going to be confused. <laughs> just for <laughs> It's uh, the other thing about it is because it was so site specific, like, do you think there's ever a chance it'll be done again? Do you think people will ever be able to hear those songs again or see that production again? I I mean, I don't know. Like uh, Mitchell Cushman and Julie Tepperman are the ones who conceived it and wrote it. And I think they're really like, you know, captaining the ship of its life. And every few years, conversations about that emerge. There's certainly an audience that wants to see it again. I think it's a really giant undertaking um, that requires a very specific, it has very specific needs. I like always hope it'll happen again. And there's certain people who certainly believe it will. And I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, okay. but it's, it, it certainly has been discussed. For sure, it's been discussed. Yeah. It's always funny when we play like a Brantwood song at a cabaret, though, because it takes uh, like so much more setup than, than other songs. <laughs> okay, we're here. Okay, and so then we're, <laughs> we're in 1972. There's, there's three characters in this scene and they just traveled time. And, you know, like, it's just insane. <laughs> to, to write over decades, is it more difficult or is it easier? Like, is it easier to get something specific and be like, here, go write this? Or is that something that is much harder to get in, dive into? I think it comes with its own uh, pros and cons. Like, writing to assignment is sometimes, like, very freeing, I think. Mm -hmm. Sure, in any creative work you've done. Like, sometimes having a limitation breeds pretty profound creativity. And Brantwood was a really good example of that. Like I know the sound, I know what the song has to sound like. I know the pop references it needs to make. I know. Uh, and sometimes that kind of frees you because you don't have to make those decisions. You can kind of like work within those limitations and then try to make something really exciting within that. Right. Um, whereas sometimes when you can do whatever you want, that's really intimidating. It makes you feel like you're standing in a field in the dark, waving your arms around and you don't know what's a good idea or a bad idea. But also sometimes it's nice to write whatever you want. Did I answer your question? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have some limitations, some boundaries. Right. And sometimes I like self-impose them when I'm working on something. Like if I'm feeling really stuck, like, okay, you're going to try to make this song. It's going to be one minute long and it's going to, you're going to try to make it sound like this. And then, and then it like opens you up to be able to write because there's like at least some rules you're adhering to. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. yeah. You have a direction, you know where you're going. You exactly. Know. Some walls to bounce against or something. Mm -hmm. It's not just the great unknown. <laughs> so you collabed with your sister on Brantwood, right? Yes, yes. And I collab with her a great deal. Yeah. So I, I think I've heard you say in a couple interviews that you guys outside of your partnership have very different taste in music. So when you guys come together, how do you share that same 
Like, this is what we want to write. This is our sound. We know what we sound like. Did I say that in an interview? I heard you say that your sister is or was a Sporty Spice impersonator. She is. And she's incredible at it. (laughs) So I was like, wow, this like pop amazingness. Yeah, you were talking about how like that you guys are just different. And that when you come together, you have a sound. Yeah. I mean, I think we bring different things to the table for sure. But we do also have like a really shared world. Like we come from the same. We have a lot of the same musical references. We grew up listening to the same music and she's like this incredible pop writer and yeah is sporty spice and i mm-hmm. you know went to classical music school so sometimes can like pull some of that stuff but right. ultimately i think what we do have is very similar taste so i think that no matter what even when we're bringing different um ingredients to the table uh we have a shared like our standard high standard and like taste and and value we value the same things about songwriting and a lot of our favorite songs are the same songs we we are similar and different and that makes us good collaborators i think and we like Mm -hmm. trust each other implicitly no matter what okay let's jump into life after because that's kind of as you were saying the the project that's kind of taken you the most places so far so how did that one begin how did you how did you start with life after i was i just moved to toronto um and participated in something called the Paprika Festival. Have you heard of this? No. Paprika, yeah. Uh, are you based in Toronto? We are yeah. just outside of Toronto. Yeah. Just yeah. outside of Toronto. Okay, cool. Like suburbs Toronto, yeah. Oh, fabulous. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 this amazing festival for, for young writers. It's for artists under 21. And then they have programs for people over 21 as well, where it's like there's like really incredible mentorship and workshops and different streams you can do. Um, and then there's a festival and all the work has been created by young people and directed by young people and they give you the infrastructure, but really let you artistically take the lead. It's like definitely worth checking out and for sure changed my life. So um, <clears throat> I just moved to Toronto and was I was in music school and was just looking for ways to keep writing. And I did their playwright in residence program where you get to kind of develop a new script, you know, 20 minutes of a new script. So it started as a few songs. Like I had an opening number, I had poetry. It was all kind of set at a funeral for someone nameless. It was about grief, sort of. Um, and then it up until that point, I'd, be, I'd mostly written like comedy songs. Like I, I liked making people laugh and I wanted to just like write for The Simpsons and that I want that to be my life. And then working on life after kind of un- uncovered something where I was like, oh, I think I can do some different things with my music or, or songwriting here. Wow, I, I'm giving long answers. So I started there. They invited me back the next year to do develop into a longer script. I put it away for like three years, finished schooling, submitted it into the Fringe competition, got a slot in the Fringe, and then I guess in 2016 it became a longer show. Yeah. So it's like I, I, worked on, I worked on it in bits and starts, and it started in Paprika. It started as a few songs and with a lot of like incredible help and mentorship and people encouraging me to keep going very slowly, it turned into show that now exists (laughs) and was it through the fringe festival that musical stage company reached out to you to start this crescendo artist three musicals three years yeah i had already done a bit of work with them in that i did their noteworthy program which is kind of a a kind of writing matchup residency for for composers and writers um and I'd written a shorter piece with Sarah Farb through them called Reframed It with the Art Gallery of Ontario. So we definitely had a relationship and we had a few pieces starting to be in development with them. And then they came to see Life After and they were like, oh, it looks like, you know, we're invested in enough pieces with you. We might want to start, you know, give this some infrastructure and, and give it a name and, you know, try out what it means to, you know, really <laughs> meaningfully support a writer. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was Life After. They came to see Life After and then we had that conversation. What's What's been the biggest change in Life After in moving from the fringe 
to with musical stage company or at the old globe what is what has changed the most mm, oh. it's so i mean so much has changed and then also so little has changed like <laughs> the, the bones of the story have remained exactly the same and kind of the major songs the hits if you will <laughs> have remained the same <laughs> but kind of like i feel like it's like i had the um the structure of the house and every time i get to work on it uh the decor gets better <laughs> like the more walls get painted it becomes a richer world and it's all the same characters but they get colored in a little better and they have a bit more life in them and it's it got a little longer between its canadian production and an american production because i just felt like i had more to say at that point but the bones have remained the same and there's lots of people who if, if you aren't like paying attention closely <laughs> Who would think it was just the same? <laughs> that was a year of work for nothing. But you know, like when kind of the, the general feeling of it is the same, people think it's yeah. the same. But every time it's just a bit more detail. It's just a bit, it's just a bit more detail for the characters in the story. Speaking off that detail, I like you wrote this, you wrote it by yourself, right? Book and music and lyrics. So how much say do you have in like the set design or what the overall look of the show is? Um, I always, I've been really lucky to work with like, uh, I'd have to look contractually how much say I actually have. But I've always worked with, with really great collaborators who definitely listen to me. And it's always, that's the best thing about theater is it's such a collaborative process where every decision is the whole team is part of that conversation. So it's making right. a coherent world. And and so like, yeah, I wrote it by myself, but you never really write by yourself. I wrote in collaboration with our directors and with the actors. And and my sister Annika has served as dramaturg since the beginning of that because she's my sounding board and my greatest confidant and, you know, really an inspiring artist herself. And I've really relied on her in generating this show. Um, so yeah, I feel like it lives lives inside of it. Everyone who's ever touched it, the, the design teams, the directing teams, every actor, Annika, they, they all, it's another really long answer, but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. And I do, yeah, I do have a say because I've always listened, I've worked with people who listen to me and I, yeah, that's, that's great. great. And I hope to mm -hmm. never have to work with anyone who does it because <laughs> that would really suck. <laughs> we had, we had seen that the creative teams changed from Toronto to when you did it at the Old Globe. What is it like to kind of approach your project and your work but seeing it through different people and work on it through different collaborators. It's like incredibly challenging and also deeply inspiring. It makes the work better, you know, because certain things that you take for granted being clear in the hands of someone else isn't clear to them. And then you can work to make it more clear. Uh, you can learn so much from other points of view and something like this, this piece is about grief, which is incredibly universal. We all love and we all lose. And that's kind of like mm -hmm. the thing that unites us all. Mm -hmm. So I feel like everyone has something unique to say about those things. And it's like, I, I really try to just listen hard, but it is hard. You, things you take for granted are things that you think work in one production and then you take it into another and it stops working. And you're like, I don't really understand why but you have to start again. And like, I'm never going to be done writing this show. <laughs> We're doing it at, or hopefully at arena stage in Washington next year. And, yeah. uh, and I'm already in the middle of writing it all over <laughs> again. So uh, I think I'm going to be like rewriting it on my deathbed. <laughs> so as we said a bit earlier, life after was like the first of three musicals with, with you being a crescendo artist with musical stage company, three musicals in three years is a massive undertaking. And I would say that that sounds truly insane. What has that been like for you? Yeah. I'm gonna say it's like the most realistic ask <laughs> i think that me at 24 said yes to that i didn't know any better so right. uh 
but now I do. But Musical Stage is, is a pretty amazing company and that they really listened to me. And they it was a collaboration that I think has helped develop mm -hmm. that program. And now there's going to be new composers stepping into it that uh, the parts that worked will continue and the parts that were a bit more challenging have will be adjusted. So yeah, three shows in three years is really hard. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's really, really hard. And I think it, it's also been hard on my collaborators because I've been incredibly burnt out. But I think that uh, the companies listened to me in, in, in ways, every way they could, given me the support I needed to to be able to deliver. And now I, you know, I'm on a break, maybe forever. So, <laughs> so that's cool. You knew what you were doing, and now it's almost over. And it's like, oh, like just keep writing, and then you'll be I'm on the eternal break, <laughs> going to law school. So, yeah, career shift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who knows? It's I, there. It, I think that we both didn't. I think it, we've been on a learning curve, myself and musical stage, and I think it's been like really amazing and enlightening. And yeah, definitely, you're not wrong. It's a giant ask. <laughs> which is why people don't get asked to do it that often. <laughs> I do. I agree. I love that musical stage is like investing in young composers and putting their work and um, finding collaborators for them. And I, I, your path would have been great, but I'm sure having the support of them behind you was something that like really pushed you forward. Absolutely. I mean, it's changed my entire world. And I'm walking into the next stage of my professional career with like a body of work behind me. How incredible is that? That just mm -hmm. like... That's put given me such a leg up. It's such an incredible privilege when people invest in your potential and then help you to generate proof of that potential. And it's not just on you to do on your own. So, so I'm really excited they're going to keep doing it. It's like that's the way to generate lots of new and diverse voices, definitely. And I hope other theater companies follow suit. Mm -hmm. How how do you choose your coll collaborators for these projects? Um, I mean, it's sometimes you choose, like, how do I choose them? I, Annika and I didn't ha haven't, we got born into the same family. <laughs> I guess we didn't choose each other, but you yeah, each other. but we choose to keep working with each other. Yeah. It's kind of a no brainer because we have a bit of a shared brain. And, and Sarah Farb is my other collaborator they've worked with on Crescendo projects. Um, and we met through this noteworthy program that Musical Stage did a long time ago. And I feel like it's like with friends, with anyone, like you kind of know with collaborators when you have chemistry and mm -hmm. it's an amazing thing that is undeniable and like it's intangible, but you kind of know and then you run with it. Even even when you drive each other crazy, like <laughs> as having like the same taste, the same values and like making each other laugh and trusting each other, not being afraid of each other. Like I think good collaborators are hard to find and when you find them, hold on. So yeah, Sarah and I met a long time ago and we're going to work on something and then she, you know, like went to Broadway and all that we just <laughs> It's taken a long time, but we finally have like a finished draft or something. <laughs> yeah, we were we know Sarah as a performer and only a performer. So to see her on credits of writing credits, we were like, oh my God, that's the same person that we saw in Fun Home in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of annoying that she can also write. <laughs> so much talent. Like, it's rude. I know. Why does she get to have that voice and also write? Like, I want that voice. It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, but she, we, we kind of knew right away when we worked together. We had a really great time. So yeah. So we just knew. And she's a really great writer. It's, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> so a project that you didn't work on with Sarah, but one that we're so interested in to tie back to immersive theater is Dr. Silver, which was the second project in this three musicals, three years. Yeah. What is the headspace for you to write about a cult leader with an electropop score and it sounds crazy and weird, but also incredible at the same time. We have recently watched the trailers, rewatched the trailers, and it's amazing. 
It's so cool. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I was read, when we were doing research, I was reading articles about it last night and I creeped myself out so much. I had to like- <laughs> I know, it's so close scary. The computer and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go to bed now. <laughs> Is gone. Annika and I went down so many dark tunnels researching for that show. There's one day where we were watching a lot of documentaries about cults and it was like neither of us have air conditioning and it was like this hot, hot day of the summer. And we got so nauseous and like <laughs> to like it was anyway, I'm just saying it is a very dark world. What's the question? Why did we do it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like what inspired you to to write a musical about a cult leader? Where did that yeah. idea come from? Where did that idea come from? That's a good question. So, so like you're not in a cult in real life, right? <laughs> not that I tell you about. No, I'm not, I'm not good answer. Correct. I'd, I'd be in big trouble with them by now. Exactly. <laughs> I, like totally skewered them last year. Um, yeah. Um, well, as a past Scientologist, no, I'm I'm not a Scientologist. Uh, like I, um, how did it come about? Do you? So, are you familiar with Outside the March and the work they do? The Yeah, Company? we saw yeah. that flick this year actually. Oh, that was our, it so good. It yes. was so good. We're obsessed. Oh, so good. Um, it was so long we, we and it went by out. in a second. Exactly. Yeah. We also walked out being like, what did we just watch? Not really <laughs> sure, but like we want to talk about it for the next two weeks. And we did. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Outside the March does incredible work. And so Mitchell Cushman, he actually, who, who's the right. artistic director, we worked with him on Brantwood. So, and we've been working together for a long time, but their company put out a call for like, and like they just put out another call again for the, this thing called Forward March, which is new ideas for large scale immersive theater. And Annika and I had always known we wanted to work with Outside the March. Uh, and we're kind of like, well, we should submit something. So we spent a long time thinking about what it was and thinking about what an immersive musical might be. And I'm trying to track what the conversations even more, but we realized like when music is used, where is music used in an immersive way that feels like a natural part of like the story of the event? And that's uh, religious ceremonies, funerals, weddings, like huge rituals in life. Music is like the carrier of these stories. And, and we didn't come from a religious family, but, but we do feel like music on some level kind of connects us to this feeling of divinity. So we, we wanted to like create a world where music could carry us through a funeral ritual that connects us to the divine. So it was the funeral of a cult leader who, who believes that music uh, connects us to the divine. And like, um, and our dad, our, our late father was a kind of out there composer himself. And I spent some time in this organization that maybe felt a little culty about, you know, community and music and, God, and this was when he was a much younger man, but we found all these records of these ceremonies. And and, and music has this intangible way of bringing us together and connecting us with something that I, it's hard to explain in words. So this is a rambly answer. I don't know how it came about, but like we put it together for that application, trying to think about how we could use music in an immersive way that would make sense, that didn't feel like, uh, that felt essential to the storytelling. So cult leader's funeral, it was a no brainer, you know? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Just, you know. It writes itself, you know? Yeah. And the truth is, like love pop music and we love electronic music and it was really fun to get to actually uh, write something in that style uh and live in that world for a year yeah we had a great time what is it like to get into the headspace of a cult leader that is my curiosity <laughs> it's, <scary. laughs> it's like sometimes we feel like are you sad yeah, i'm really sad <laughs> so dark and trying to find the right tone because it is also so 
outlandish and often funny and creating a, a whole doctrine of belief that's made up. And and when you we try to read up on the doctrine of beliefs in many cults, like it it's it just sounds I don't know. It's like <laughs> nuts. But then it also makes sense and community is very powerful. And anyways, yeah, trying to find the right tone and letting it be funny and light while also holding, you know, this pretty dark thing about humanity and unquestioningly falling a leader. I would say it's hard and dark and fun and weird. It was like <laughs> a weird creative year. And we also had to write it so fast because right. it was the second project of the Crescendo series. So yeah, it, I will never forget that year of writing with my sister. We <laughs> would pull so many all-nighters in a row. <laughs> oh my God, Reading up about the craziest shit and just like losing our minds, listening to so much weird out there electronic music. I don't even know if I'm answering your questions. I'm really going no, to that. You're, no, you are. <laughs> right. it's, it's um, crazy I'll, show to write. <laughs> a last kind of, I guess, little cheeky question. Would you drink the Kool-Aid? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if the music was good enough. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the video and I, I messaged Steph and I was like, is the audience drinking the Kool-Aid right now? Is that actually happening? Do they actually drink the Kool-Aid? And then we had an entire discussion of would we drink the Kool-Aid? And I, I think it would depend on how we felt in the I probably would. in the surrounding. I probably I would. I mean, I probably would too. Well, let me tell you, the show begins with a toast and the whole the whole room drinks. Everyone, and everyone, everyone does it. What if and you don't do everyone it? Everyone did it. I don't wow. know. I mean, you get to stay for the show, but yeah. truly without quite like everyone did it like not even a double take it was like yeah we're doing it i never Ooh. saw anyone not do it like that's amazing it says something about i don't know group it's but, that easy but, to get inducted okay. into a cult <laughs> you're like well everyone else is doing it we were I also saying that this would not happen today with things that are going on in the world right now i'm not sure everyone would drink kool-aid out of a shot glass today <laughs> If this would be a hard show, I'm glad we got it out of us pre-COVID because I think it would be a hard, it's going to be a long time before people are going to be communally drinking <laughs> anything at the theater. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the third show and final show of the Crescendo Project was meant to be Kelly versus Kelly, which unfortunately has been postponed for now. Um, it was supposed to be playing at Canadian Stage May 15th to June 7th. Can you tell us a little bit about Kelly v. Kelly? I can, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's based on a true story that Sarah Farb found actually through a podcast called The Memory Palace. Is that a podcast you've ever heard? No, no. I wasn't familiar with it, but this it's like little moments of history told in like little 10 minute segments. Um, it's it's very beautifully done. And, and there's this true story on that based in 1915 in New York City uh, when this mother had her own daughter arrested and brought to court for dancing, for sneaking out and dancing. And it was this time when tango clubs were emerging in New York City and suffragette mo movement was kind of really coming to the surface of New York City. And um, it was just a huge moment of change and... Um, I don't know if I'm explaining this well. So, at, so we, 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 Sarah and I had been talking about really wanting to to write something about mothers and daughters. Like, I just think that's that's a relationship that's a, central to all of our lives, perhaps. But <laughs> mm -hmm. that is like, uh, deeply complex. And uh, and uh, anyway, we wanted to write about that, and it felt like. Um, and the generational divide between mothers and daughters. And it was it felt like a really interesting time in history to write about the gen generational divide between mothers and daughters. And it seemed like that's exactly what was going on with this mother and daughter. Uh, 
daughter who was yearning for something new and a mother who was afraid to let her have that. And uh, so we set it in the courtroom of this, it set at the trial, this real trial. And Sarah, you know, looked at real transcripts of these trials and, and really it's very true to the story itself, but also, you know, goes in and out of fantasy and reality and past and into the dance halls. And there's lots and lots of dance and, and a love story. And, but at the center, it's a, it's a mother and daughter uh, in this very high stakes moment of their relationship. Does that make, you know, you can always tell it's a newer project because I really don't know. <laughs> you didn't have to go through the whole promo of this one yet. You haven't even done the media days. No press junkets yet. This is the first one. <laughs> I can tell because you can work like, it out. what the hell do I say? Anyway, let's really keep going. <laughs> I, I don't want you to like uh, spoil it because we will get to see it one day, but so it takes place like kind of real time over a trial, kind of jumping in and out of flashbacks or testimonies or uh, like uh, dream sequences. Is that what I'm getting kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like Sarah and I have a very similar storytelling style. That's what we love to do together is like, it's, uh, I don't know. The music doesn't really stop and a lot of things happen at once. And the trial is kind of like the the pillar that we can come back to, but yeah, definitely it, the story lives outside of the trial as well. And those worlds can kind of interact with each other. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And you also did a version of it with the Canadian Music Theatre Project, correct? We did, yeah. How was that with the Sheridan students? The best. That is like the best program for writers. It's truly, I just can't wait till I get to do it again. I hope I get to do it again. I mean, those students are amazing. Um, to just be given a, a cast and the infrastructure to develop new ideas. Uh, I think I started that CMTP round the day after we opened Dr. Silver. So I was oh my God. fired. Um, but yeah, we, uh, and I had, but we generated so much material in like a month because the students are so talented and so inspiring and you can work so fast. Um, it's just the best. I can't say enough. I, I really, I, I love it out there. That program is really an incredible thing. And anyone who does it is really lucky. We went to see it for the first time this past year, just one of the nights, and we're blown away by not just getting to see musicals in development, because that's something, you know, as an audience, you don't get to see that much, but how talented the students are and how, like, they just throw themselves into everything wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> like, they just, and they're such good sight readers. And I don't know. Yeah, it's it's the best. What is it like kind of emotionally for this project to be cut short you're ramping up to do it and then you didn't get to premiere how is that what is that creative process and how is it like emotionally for for that i mean it's it's hard it's like really hard to to get so close and to be finished the work and it's it's hard work writing a show and emotional work and and we'd kind of reached the end and we were really proud of our draft and yeah, I, I, we just didn't get to do the best part. You know, being in rehearsal for a new, for a new show really is the best part. It's, it's. Uh, sometimes I think I hate writing, and then I'll be so again. I'm like, no, I love this. I never want to stop this. You know, collaborating <laughs> in the room and responding in real time to real situations, and and you know, shaping it with a team of artists that you love. It's just the best. It's the best. So it's very sad, but, uh, but also. I think you, maybe you found it too, like in this COVID time, it was sad for a second and then your priorities become something else. Like the world is changing really quickly and uh, I'm grateful to get to kind of stand still in this moment and witness that and and it's all okay. And everybody's in it together and every, it, the same mm -hmm. thing to everyone's work and it just isn't the important thing right now, even at all. And that's okay. 
so we had our tears about it for sure but like it's ultimately okay and definitely not I just have faith we'll return to it when it's time and if it's the story the world needs and if it's not that's okay you know Mm -hmm. well until that time as we said at the beginning of this episode we have heard one song from Kelly versus Kelly we love it as we said um I wonder, because we have seen Haley Gillis uh, in Ghost Quartet last year, and did you write for her in mind by any chance? Because her voice is crazy, and on that song, it's so beautiful. I mean, it depends on where in the process. Eventually, definitely, we, we started doing these little mini mini workshops of it, so we started working with Haley, and, and then it started to really grow into being inspired by her voice, and her voice is, oh, that's just, what a voice. I could write for mm-hmm. that voice forever. She's such an incredible musician. Moving is just feeling, feeling the music, the music. Life is lonely. But fun fact, that song in the promo video isn't actually for her character in the show. She doesn't <gasps> sing it. Nope. Or in shock. <laughs> wow. And it was actually the first song for the show that I wrote out at CMTP. And it's um, and it's for a different character. So you'll just have to wait and see. Wow. Her. And in shock. For her, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are all other songs in the show that were definitely written for her, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. The harmonies in that song, too, is something that we've talked about for two weeks now. Are, do you love to write different part harmonies for people? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could write for three three part women's voices forever. In fact, I do. <laughs> um, I love crunchy harmonies for like three part women. I love, I love, uh, love crunchy harmonies. And I also yeah. have learned a lot from our orchestrator and arranger is someone named Lynn Shankle. Um, and she has taught me so much about vocal arrangement and uh, work. She worked. I worked with her on Life After as well, and she's like the master at it. So yeah, it's definitely an incredible collaboration. We're we're still in shock that she doesn't even sing that in the show. Like, what are we gonna do? Oh my goodness! I know to hear to hear a different voice on that song. It's gonna be like a whole brand new song for us, which is very exciting. I'll tell you, the person who sings it in the show does it really well it too. So. <laughs> and the song is also you know three times as long as that. So many things. I was gonna ask you. So on the the version that was released is obviously only two minutes. And when I heard it, I was like, is this it? Is this a two minute song? Or we, do we have more to dive in here? Or is just, <laughs> this just a taste? And obviously it's just a taste. It's just a, a taste, little, just wow. a little bit. So plenty more where that came from. Yeah. We're obsessed. We love it. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> it was nice to get to just release a little bit, you know, on opening, get a little bit of the hit of getting to share your work was really, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So the next section of our podcast is called Quarantine Content. So as we said a bit earlier in this episode that you have been pretty much nonstop for three years, three years, three musicals. It's pretty crazy. So how has this time been for you to just like wind down and adjust to not creating something with a deadline right now? (laughs) It's new. Uh, It's sometimes really nice and sometimes really scary. And both of those things kind of exist together. Yeah, I would say like, yeah, I'm listening to lots of music. I'm trying to learn some new software. I'm reading a lot. All of these, like, that's all really good. At the beginning, I felt like I frantically should be using this time to like write my next opus. 
but it feels like that's not going to happen. It feels like that's not going to happen. We all heard Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague and it stressed everyone out, I think. Yeah, I think comparing yourself to Shakespeare is probably <laughs> not path to wellness and self-esteem. But yeah, I'm kind of letting myself take a breath and I think that's okay, especially because I don't know if you're finding this, but uh, a lot of the work that came before this moment doesn't feel relevant right now. And I don't know how to comment on this moment, you know? Um, and especially right now, we're having a huge awakening with this, with what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's really changing the whole paradigm of how theater has worked and how theater should work. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I just need to take a second and pay attention and be quiet for a second, I think. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you writing though? I'm writing a little. I'm writing mostly dumb stuff that I'll never say to anyone. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Just to get it out. <laughs> yeah, like silly songs, like songs to make me laugh. And I'm trying to figure out some new music software because I'm like really bad on the computer. And so I'm making a lot of stuff that sounds terrible. And that's nice. Like it's very freeing to write things that sound bad that no one will hear, you know? Yeah. In the For the past three years, I've written a lot of things that sound bad that people definitely will hear <laughs> much worse. <laughs> um, how are you, how are you filling your days otherwise? What are you binging? I like weirdly have gotten tired of TV. I'm like, not really watching. oh, my friend and I are watching Lost from the beginning. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Just, That's a know, throwback. Does that feel relevant? To the- <laughs> yeah. No, it certainly doesn't. <laughs> Maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm reading a lot. I'm reading an incredibly sad book right now. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to learn to cook. I'm getting much better at cooking. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm becoming a very boring person. I don't have an interesting answer. What am I binging? I don't know. We're watching Lost. There's like eight of us that That's watch great. an episode of Lost tonight, and we text about it while we do. That's great. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's, it's, TV's changed a lot since 2004. That's all I'm going to say. It's changed a lot since 2004. So we have a we have a bit of a rapid fire for you. And um, like we said, we record in the car. So this is called Personality Test Drive. So we are going to start off with what we ask everybody in our rapid fire, which is what is your road trip cast recording? <gasps> oh, my gosh. I don't listen to cast recordings that much. <laughs> you can uh, say album. Album is cool, too. Album. Oh, road trip album. Emotion by Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> That's a Definitely great, nice. <laughs> it's a great one. It's so good. <laughs> I never get tired of it. Yeah, love Carly Rae. Yeah, we love Carly. <laughs> Canadian content. Exactly, CanCon. <laughs> um, which Hogwarts house do you belong to? It's shameful. I uh, I got Slytherin. I, I can't explain <laughs> it. <laughs> I think Slytherin is about ambition. It is about drive. It is about motivation. So uh, I think it's a good one. <laughs> I got Slytherin, and then. This was like a year ago, um, and my I, I told my sister that I got Slytherin, and I was so upset about it. And she's like, hmm, "Makes sense." And then we had like the biggest <laughs> fight. we had the biggest fight we've ever had. <laughs> I I told my friend I thought she was a Slytherin, and she was mad. Yeah, very <laughs> Harry Potter. She was so upset. <laughs> like not all Slytherins are evil, but all the evil people are Slytherins, you know. So yeah, I really thought I was a Hufflepuff. I, I was wrong. So I don't know. <laughs> Um, what is your miscast? I don't know what that means. <laughs> if you were to be in a show and you could play the opposite gender, what is your miscast role in a musical? Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, I, when I was a kid, I 
That's all I wanted. <laughs> I was really sad when I realized it was never going to happen for me. Um, we can gender bend it. I'd see it. <laughs> I I know the score. I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm waiting by the phone. You're off book. <laughs> off book. Yeah. Um, site specific project or non site specific? Depends on the project. <laughs> And depends on how comfortable the site is. I, I don't like the. I, I'm not going to stand in the rain or something. That's right. a good point. I didn't even yeah. think about that. It's got to have yeah. air conditioning. It's I'm like pretty pro chairs, if I'm honest. So that might limit it. <laughs> chairs, okay. <laughs> I'm open to site specific if there's chairs. Good to know. If there's chairs, you're in. <laughs> and accessible. Accessible is important. I believe in accessible theater. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Movie, you'd turn into a musical. Movie, I would turn into a musical. Bridesmaids. Wow. Yeah. That could be a chance for you to use your comedy songwriting to. I I would love, again, I'll wait by the phone. If they're looking for someone, I'm ready. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Favorite show you've never seen? Mm, That's a good question. Oh my God, there's so many I've never seen. I want to say right now, A Strange Loop. I'm really obsessed with A Strange Loop and I never saw it. So. We've been listening to it too. It's so, it's good. so good. It's genius. He's a genius. It's It needs to go to Broadway. I hope they're listening. Pulitzer Prize winning musical. Yeah. It's ser- deservedly so. He was yeah. actually, Sarah and I went on a, a writing uh, retreat at, at Goodspeed in February, mm-hmm. right before like the world stopped and Michael R. Jackson was there and oh every God. day. We would be like, we're gonna talk to him today. <laughs> so much we love his work. We're gonna, and then on the last, like we never did. And then the last day I went up to him, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, thank you. Wow, that's so yeah. great. Do you have great. a favorite song from that recording? I mean, you Inner White Girl one. is just like it's mm-hmm. so good. Probably, I would say Inner, inner White Girl. It's a basic choice from a very basic white girl. Right. So. Are we the Inner White Girls? Maybe. I think I am. I think he's. <laughs> really hit it on the head and it makes me feel very ashamed but that's you're called out that's yeah, what we've out. been called upon to feel right now that's fine yeah exactly that's why he clings to his silly inner white girl the same one clinging to me we want to be free we want to be wrong we want either love or validation but neither could easily so her siren song keeps us in total subjugation Um, yes. Growing up at Stratfest, favorite Shakespeare? Um, Hamlet, basic choice. It's a great play. That's really yeah. <laughs> Last show you saw before the shutdown? Ooh, Hamilton. <laughs> I saw oh. Hamilton. Wow, you're, yeah. You got in. You got in. I we got did. In. You got in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't believe it. It's like one of the last times I was even like out in public. I, I feel like it's other worlds, but yeah, it was Hamilton. It really lives up to the hype. So, <laughs> was this your first time seeing it? Yes, yes, it oh, very nice. much was. Yeah. Have you you both have seen it? I imagine seen it a we've few seen times. it three times. <laughs> oh my gosh! Ow. In different places. Where are you getting that money? <laughs> um, well, exactly. Um, the the first time I saw it was in New York off of a cancellation ticket. So that happened. Uh, Steph, you saw it in. I saw it in London. London, and then the second time we all saw it together, we drove to Buffalo to see it, which was actually cheaper than what they were selling ch- tickets for in Toronto. And then the third time, I'm a Mervish subscriber, so I got my way in that way. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Didn't have to wait in the 45,000 person online queue. Online queue. <laughs> You're hardcore. We love musicals. We love musicals. <laughs> um, dream project to work on with your sister. Probably the musical adaptation of Bridesmaids. <laughs> That's great. Let's go. <laughs> so we're gonna we'll finance it. We're gonna pull together a team. Uh, let's I think it could be. <laughs> I think it could be site specific too. I really do. If so what's like a bridal shop? We yeah. we do it in a bridal shop. Um, with like you know we're brainstorming. Yeah. We're going the wedding itself. I don't know. Anyway, it's uh, <laughs> the mind wanders, but yeah, I I, I would love to do that. <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite score? West Side Story. Always and forever. It's Classic. And <laughs> excellent music. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And finally, a musical you wish you wrote? Probably like Into the Woods. Yeah. Or Six. Yes. <laughs> oh God, six. We love Six. Six is genius. I, I've only just, I've only just like started listening to it. I'm like, this is what an incredible idea. It's the really cast recording so. is one thing. Seeing it on stage is like mind-blowing, whole other level. Of course we're you've still... seen it on stage. We, we, we went to Chicago. <laughs> Gosh, you're much better music theater than I am. Like, I'm humbled. We love a road trip. So we we actually, we road trip to Chicago to go to the Hamilton exhibition. And then when we were there, we, fa- we found out that falsetto was was playing so we went to go see falsettos and then we also found out that six was playing and truly our lives were changed last year after we saw six yeah is it just so so good it's incredible we also steph has a crusade for 90 minute musicals are the way to go so Mm -hmm. it's a 90 minute musical no intermission and it's just like high energy the entire time it's amazing I couldn't agree with you more, Steph. Like, truly, it's... Uh, I don't want to be for three hours. I don't. I don't want to, like, have to go look at regular, normal people. It takes me no. out of the magic. I don't want to, like, wait in line for a Haagen-Dazs. Like, keep me in the story, and then I'll get a Haagen-Dazs after, you know? Exactly. Like, the momentum dies, then you have to, like, build yeah. it up again. And, yeah. you're, you know, you the line to the bathroom is so long. It's brutal. Yeah. I you just know? I just saw Oklahoma last time I was in New York, and I was like, "Man, musicals used to be long." Ooh. We saw Oklahoma last time we were in New York too. It, yeah, it did feel long. It, it, it took a minute to get going. It took it, a minute just, to get they're going. They're not in. They weren't in a rush, Ron. <laughs> no, really? They weren't in a rush. They weren't <laughs> like, like. I wonder if I could do this more efficiently. They never. <laughs> but it, that, a know? true question: How did you feel in the darkness scene? I need to know what went through your mind when they turn off all the lights and there's like gunshots going on. <laughs> I was freaked out. <laughs> We were too. I didn't didn't like when they whispered into the mic. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Swear, Steph and I were holding hands during that scene. (laughs) I went with my sister and our other friend, and they got like you know last minute seats. They were sitting together, and then I was sitting across. I was by myself, and I like I was scared. (laughs) Kind of, it was amazing production, but I yeah. yeah. (laughs) The the most horrifying moment for me anyway was when he unbuckled his pants in the darkness into the microphone. I was like, I recoiled. I shivered. It was yeah. horrifying. horrifying. It was horrifying. It was truly. Yeah. And then he started was- whispering again. <laughs> Speak up. <laughs> yeah. Speak on your voice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. something that we do in every episode is obsession of the week. Um, we did let you know that this was happening. So hopefully you are prepared with an obsession. But we will we will start so that you can get the hang of it. It's now time for our obsession of the week. I can go first. Okay. 
So something we've been obsessed with recently, Tara, you and I have been on a journey recently. We have. Britta, I don't know if you've been on this journey. We're on the normal people journey. Would highly recommend it. It's on CBC Gem here in Canada. And there is an iconic music moment in episode two, and it is the Imogen Heap song, Hide and Seek, which is, it's used everywhere. It's almost like expected, but they use it so well. And it like emotionally got me. I watch that scene. I go online and I just watch it. But it reminded me how much I love Imogen Heap, how much I love that song. And it reminded me that she did the the score to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which when I saw it, I loved that score. And I loved how her kind of electro pop modern sensibilities like juxtaposed like Hogwarts and what it looked like. Um, and I just love her music. And I love that it sampled her previous stuff and it sampled Hide and Seek in one moment. It is a song called Sweet Two, Edge of the Forest, kind of at some point in part two of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is not 90 minutes long. It is much longer than that. <laughs> They're at the edge of the forest. <laughs> it is much longer. <laughs> and the, you hear this like slowed down, like really beautiful version of Hide and Seek. And it it, because that song is so associated with these emotional moments in TV or in movies, it got me feeling that same emotion in the theater. And I just thought it was so well used and her score is so great. So that is my obsession. It is Sweet to Edge of the Forest, which is a sample of Image and Heap song, Hide and Seek in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child score. also obsessed with normal people though so we'll throw that out there <laughs> too the other true obsession is normal people <laughs> if you're not on that journey Brenna, you need to get on it get on it yeah, yeah my book club's reading that book next so i gotta okay. I, I just got the book i'm gonna read it and then i'll watch well, it. You, uh steph would you recommend reading before watching or watching yes, before reading? i would recommend reading before watching i because i read it like right before i watched as well and then you can get on the journey and let us know how yeah. it's going <laughs> my obsession this week is something that i had listened to in 2017 when it first came out and that's 36 questions the podcast musical um i just started re-listening to it and i just finished it i think it's so smart to make a podcast musical because you have so many different abilities to play and do different things and one of the things i love so much about it is the soundscape that happens especially when you're wearing headphones it takes place at multiple locations and you can hear the water from the beach you can hear them when they're in a car you can hear the rain but it also features the amazing voices of jonathan groff and jesse shelton this is a two up productions um podcast musical written and directed and composed by ellen winter and chris littler and it's a story about this couple who they have a struggling marriage and they do the 36 questions that lead to love experiment to try and reconnect and i will not spoil what happens because there is a lot of lies that go on in this musical and part of the reason why they broke up but i've been listening to the cast recording from it because it's available on all streaming services and my favorite song is hear me out and steph you know we've talked about this jesse shelton has one of the most unique voices i've ever heard this place if you were him 
When we listened to it in 2017, we loved it. And then hearing it again, it just made me re-fall in love with her voice. So 36 Questions, podcast musical, I highly recommend. It's three parts. It's long. It's like three hours, but you can listen to it in different parts. I love that you're taking out a pen and writing this down. I am. I don't know anything about musicals. I'm shameful. <laughs> like, truly, I'm, uh, that's actually something but my collaborators say about me a lot. They're like, you don't know anything about the thing you do. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> We don't write. We can't write them. So no, we, so have we to listen. Love. Yeah. <laughs> See, we love I and listen. Probably listen to them more. But anyway, that's uh, my issue. What are you obsessed with this week? Well, I, I already I already said a strange loop, but frankly, I'm obsessed with a strange loop. That was one thing I've become you know re obsessed with since since he won the Pulitzer. And I'm also really into the song "Your Love Is My Love" by Whitney Houston. You know that song? <laughs> yeah, I've been listening to that song a lot this week. I don't know if I did this game the way he wanted no, you did. to. You did. You did. <laughs> you did. Those would be the two things that I'm listening to right now. We said we've been listening to a strange loop too. I think like I had listened to it when the cast recording first came out, and then I kind of like forgot about it, and now I'm listening to it again and forgot how good it is. It's great. It's transcendent. It's incredible. Yeah. And it bops too. It's like <laughs> emotional, but it bops. It's gotta get on Broadway. It's gotta get that. Yeah. It's it demands it, it it we must. Anyways. Before we go, we'd love for you to plug any social media that you have. Oh, man, I'm, or no. I'm so bad at the internet. I have Instagram. <laughs> you can follow me if you want. I don't post that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at Britta MC Johnson on Instagram. And that's all I can tell you. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Off To Be Way Podcast. That's with the number two. And you can listen to our podcast anywhere podcasts are found. That includes Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere else podcasts are found. And thank you so much, Britta, for joining us today. This was so much fun. We had a great time. <laughs> we did. And so we cannot wait. We cannot wait to see Kelly v. Kelly whenever it comes out, but also anything that you're working on in the future. We are so excited to see it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to talk to you. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.